This is Theology Refresh with David Mathis, Desiring God's podcast for pastors and Christian leaders. And our theme today is spiritual gifts. With us is Sam Storms. He is a pastor and author of the book, Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. And as Sam and I were talking about the topic, uh, he had a text that came to mind first, which is 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11, and he may want to start us there. Sam, as you think about orienting pastors on the topic of spiritual gifts, how do you do that? Well, I think the first place you begin is to remind them of what spiritual gifts are for. Why has God uh, made these available to us? And the consistent theme, uh, especially in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and you see it in the rest of the New Testament as well, is that they are given for the building up of the body. Uh, they are uh, the tools that God has entrusted to us for the increasing sanctification of God's people. You read about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, where he says that all the gifts, regardless of their nature, are for the common good. And then the theme consistently through chapter 14, which is the most extensive teaching on the subject, is that gifts are for edification building up. The, the idea obviously is that we are weak, that we are needy, that um, we lack insight, we lack energy, we lack strength, and spiritual gifts are designed to encourage and to edify and to build up and to deepen and expand our conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. So spiritual gifts, unfortunately, uh, in our day have oftentimes been uh, focused upon as if the, it's something of a spiritual sideshow, mm -hmm. uh, like a, almost like a Christian carnival. Oh, let's come and watch somebody perform. Let's watch a few people jump through some supernatural hoops. When in fact, spiritual gifts are an essential foundational tool in the sanctification process and the building up of one another in the knowledge and the, and the love of Jesus Christ and equipping us uh, to be more effective in our ministry one to another. So there is a, a very foundational, practical, sanctifying function for spiritual gifts, at least in God's design in giving them to us. Give us an example of some of these spiritual gifts. Well, why don't we just read the text? Uh, we were talking about this before. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, beginning back in verse 4, Paul says that there are varieties of gifts uh, there are varieties of service, there are varieties of activities, but it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God who empowers them and everyone. And then he makes this, uh, what is perhaps the most important statement of all in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he begins to list um, about nine of these gifts, and, and it's not obviously an exhaustive list, uh, but these are the ones that typically are debated and are more controversial because they tend to be more overtly miraculous or more overtly and conspicuously supernatural. Things like uh, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, faith, gifts of healings, working of miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish between spirits, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. And then later in the chapter, in chapter 12, he adds to that things such as uh, administrating, administration, helping. Um, he talks in um, uh, Romans chapter 12 of leading, of serving. So there are a variety of gifts. In fact, it's hard to know exactly how many there are. Um, by some readings in the New Testament, I think there are 19 or 20. 
Uh, and we do have to ask the question, it's a perfectly legitimate question, does the New Testament describe all possible gifts of the Spirit? There's nothing explicitly that tells us that these are the only gifts that God could give. Uh, I think we have to be careful, obviously, that we don't create uh, uh, concepts or spiritual gifts that, that aren't grounded in the New Testament. Uh, but if there are gifts beyond those 19 or 20 that we read about, they would all have to conform to the guidelines that the New Testament gives us in terms of how they're to operate in the life of the body. But that passage, if I can come back to it in verse 7, the reason I think it's so important is Paul says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit. He's telling us that spiritual gifts are not... Uh, what we might think of uh, as the kind of gift that you're going to find under the Christmas tree or that you're going to bring home to your wife on, the, on her anniversary or birthday. It's not a, a thing. It's not stuff. Spiritual gifts are the Holy Spirit coming to various, varying degrees of manifestation or display in and through the life and ministry of each individual Christian. Think about that again. A gift is the Spirit Himself working in and through ordinary, broken, struggling, weak, um, forgiven Christians coming to varying degrees of manifestation. That word manifestation, I think, is significant. He's putting Himself on display. It's not so that we can be put on display. We're not the ones being manifested, although tragically, in some circles, that's, that's what ends up happening. It's the Spirit manifesting His presence, showing His power, working in and through Christians to draw them into deeper fellowship with Christ, into greater conformity to His image. Sam, there's a, a couple key terms maybe we should define or remind our mm -hmm. pastor, pastor and leader listeners sure. about. One is cessationism, mm -hmm. other perhaps is continuationism. Yes. How would you... Put those together for us. Yeah, let's be real clear first because people hear that word cessationism and they think, wait a minute, are you talking about what the South did in the Civil War? <laughs> We're not talking about secessionism or seceding. We're talking about cessationism, which is the notion that certain spiritual gifts ceased or that God um, gradually uh, stopped bestowing them to the church. And those who embrace this view would say that this took place somewhere toward the end of the first century. Uh, many tie it to the, um, the um, closing of the canon, or at least the, the, the work of inspiration by which uh, the biblical authors were led to inscripturate God's will for us in written form. Uh, cessation has come in a variety of forms. There are some who would say that it is only what they would call sign gifts or revelatory gifts that ceased. And then, of course, other gifts uh, they would contend are still operative. I've actually known some cessationists who believe that all spiritual gifts died out sometime after the uh, death of the last apostle. But uh, cessationism, again, there, we need to be clear because we don't want to miss, I don't want to misrepresent them. Most cessationists believe that God is still a God of the supernatural who still performs miracles, who still answers prayer who can still do many of the, the glorious, mighty things that we see in the New Testament. What they object to is the notion that God uniquely empowers individuals with these kinds of miraculous or supernatural powers. Uh, continuationism 
is probably a better word than uh, some of the other terms that have been used because it simply emphasizes that all the gifts of the Spirit continue throughout the course of church history and that the reason they do is because these are the primary tools or instruments or the means by which God intends for his people to be strengthened and edified and built up in the body. Um, sometimes there's a, uh, there's a, a strong divide between uh, the various groups and then there are shades of cessationism and continuationism. Um, I participated, uh, what's been, goodness, 16 years ago now, in the writing of uh, one of the Four Views books that Zondervan produces. And this one was entitled, Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, Four Views. And we had a very difficult time, Wayne Grudem edited the book, and we had a very difficult time classifying the, the, the various views. Uh, Richard Gaffin from Westminster Seminary articulated what we ended up calling Reformed Cessationism. And that was a pretty strict view that all so-called miraculous or revelatory gifts ceased uh, in, sometime late in the first century. Um, Robert Sosi from Talbot Seminary articulated what we ended up calling open but cautious. Uh, he's open to the possibility these gifts could still operate, but kind of he's got his foot on the brake, uh, so to speak. And then um, Douglas Ose, who is more of a classical Pentecostal perspective, articulated that view. And then I articulated what we ended up calling the third wave view, which is uh, misleading to many people because they don't know what the first and second waves were, much less the third. But it was the continuationist view that all the gifts, in fact, are operative in the church today. Very good. Uh, a, a couple flashpoints. You flip over to 1 Corinthians 14, mm -hmm. and there, there's the discussion of prophecy in tongues. Mm -hmm. Could you put forth succinctly about the gifts of prophecy in tongues? What are those? How should pastors think about those? Yeah, and it's important also for us to remember why those two gifts are the only ones talked about in chapter 14. It seems rather odd after he's listed about 15 of them in, in the previous couple of chapters. And I think the problem is related to what was going on in Corinth. The Corinthians, Paul says, came behind nobody in spiritual gifts. They were uh, remarkably blessed by God. You know, their carnality or their failures was not due to the fact that they lacked the presence of the Spirit in a very real sense. It was because they had more of the Spirit than they could handle. And it had led them uh, to abuse these gifts for their own aggrandizement and for own their self-promotion. But I believe prophecy, as Paul is describing it here, uh, if I can steal Wayne Grudem's simple phrase, is simply speaking forth in merely human words what God has spontaneously brought to mind. And I think one b basis for that is um, the way Paul describes uh, this happening in a gathering of the church. Uh, he says, for example, that let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And then verse 30 of chapter 14, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. So he envisioned some sort of revelatory disclosure coming to an individual in the course of a, of a small group or a church gathering, and that individual then speaking forth what they sensed God had been saying. And of course he says, you need to judge, you need to weigh that, you need to evaluate it, you need to determine whether or not this really in fact is something that we could have some degree of confidence is from God. Same thing Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he tells us don't quench the spirit by despising prophecies but test everything, hold fast to that which is good, reject that which is not. So prophecy 
is not primarily predicting the future. It's not primarily an issue of, you know, who is the Antichrist uh, or that sort of notion. It is rather um, the very encouraging, edifying, consoling. And I use those words because in chapter 14, verse 3, Paul says that's the purpose of prophecy. They build up, they encourage, they console. When you speak forth for the encouragement of another believer, something that you sense or feel that God has brought to mind. Now, gift of tongues is, of course, uh, one of the most divisive and controversial of all. In fact, it's interesting, some people aren't aware of this, that uh, in the 60s and 70s, uh, the so-called charismatic renewal was actually called the tongues movement hmm. because that was the central uh, point of dispute. And that's really sad that that gift should be given such prominence uh, when Paul uh, seems to suggest that apart from interpretation, it shouldn't even be a factor in a corporate gathering of God's people. But um, there are basically two views on the gift of tongues. One is that tongues was the spirit-imparted ability to speak a, a known human language that you yourself had never before studied, uh, one with which you were unfamiliar. As we see in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, they were speaking the dialects of the people who were present in Jerusalem for Passover. And yet, you know, the marvel was these are uneducated Galileans. And so some argue that all tongue speech must be um, the speaking of languages like German or Swahili or uh, Russian by an individual who's never studied that particular uh, uh, linguistic expression. Others would argue, such as myself, that although that certainly is one expression of tongues, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul specifically says there are a variety of tongues, or as one commentator translated it, uh, many species or kinds of tongues. Some may in fact be human languages, others may be uh, uniquely crafted linguistic constructions that are designed to give thanks to God, that are expressions of praise, that are expressions of petition, their prayer, and that these can either be um, angelic dialects or I think more likely a uniquely crafted or shaped uh, linguistic expression that is granted to each individual to whom the gift is given. But Paul is clear, no mistake about it, in the absence of interpretation, that gift is not to be exercised in the public gathering of the church because the purpose of that gathering is to build up one another. And to build up one another, you have to be intelligible. You have to understand what one another is saying. And in the absence of, interp of interpretation, tongues basically is useless. Sam, this is so fascinating. We could go on and on, but your beginner's guide to spiritual gifts is coming out in a new edition. Right. It's about 25% uh, larger than the, uh, the first edition. It'll be out sometime in the spring of 2013. Very good. S Sam, any word you'd want to speak to pastors and Christian leaders related to this topic of spiritual gifts? I think the thing that I would want to say more than anything else is, uh, number one, you don't have to be afraid. I think a lot of pastors who, who are continuationists theologically are fearful. And I don't think we have to be afraid because we're told very clearly in chapter 12 that spiritual gifts are the Spirit manifesting His presence among us. Um, I don't see anywhere in these chapters that Paul says to the Corinthians or anybody else, whoa, be careful, these are dangerous. Uh, you're opening yourself up to alien forces and supernatural powers other than God. That kind of warning is never found. Uh, so I'd, I'd say to them, don't be afraid. But then secondly, I would say, be very biblical. Keep your finger on the text 
and be, be sure that the guidelines that were given to govern the exercise of these gifts are followed very carefully. And I think if we do that, the extremes, the fanaticism, the, the sensational uh, displays, um, some of the abuses that are so prevalent in some sectors of the charismatic world today can be avoided. Thanks. Would you pray for our listener? Certainly will. Father in heaven, we thank you that your desire is to enable us by your power to be edified, strengthened, built up, deepened in our confidence in Christ, falling ever more in love with him, more capable, more able of encouraging one another. And Lord, I thank you that you've made available to us by your spirit these gifts, these expressions of the spirit's presence in our lives. And I pray, Father, especially for those listening to us talk here today, pastors and leaders, would you give them a zeal, a hunger, a desire in accordance with your purpose for their life and their ministry. And Lord, above all else, I pray that you would enable them to see that the goal is the magnifying of the name of Jesus, that through the changed lives, that through a deepened, deepened, uh, ever deepening and expanded understanding of who Christ is, he is ever more exalted in our thinking, uh, that we will make him known and make him famous in ways that otherwise perhaps uh, we would fall short. So Lord, thank you for these gifts. Encourage us in the pursuit of them. Keep our hearts and our minds riveted to your uh, inspired text that we might do it in a way that is honoring to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.